This morning, we are looking at a story that's probably familiar, um, but it's good. Uh, Luke 15, we're going to read 1 through 3. I'll kind of talk a little bit about the verses in between, uh, then we'll pick up at verse 11 uh, to the end. Uh, so Luke 15, this is, this is the par- parable of the prodigal son is what it's called. Um, we could probably better title the parable of the two lost sons or uh, the gracious father, um, probably even better, because um, ultimately that's what it's about. So uh, Luke 15, 1 through 3, 11 through the end, uh, before we read, you'll find it on the screen behind me if you want to read, or if you've got it, it's on the screen in front of you too. Um, so before we read it, let's pray together. God, once again, we're, we're grateful for this book, for grateful for the scriptures. And uh, yeah, it's the, the it, it continuously sort of blows our mind. Uh, we don't know how it works. There's, there's mystery involved here. But somehow when we, when we read these words, when we read these stories, when we, when we pay attention, you show up and you speak. And so that's what we're asking for. We're asking for that this morning. And again, we ask that your, that your word, which we know is, is generative and transformative, that, that it would change something in us pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors and sinners. Uh, They're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let's just pause there for a second. This is bonus because it just came to me and we're going to talk about it for a second. Like that's his reputation right there. The tax collectors and sinners, the people he's not supposed to be hanging out with, obviously, they're, they're gathered around him to hang out with him. And then the religious people are like, this man welcomes tax collectors and sinners and he eats with them. This is his reputation. This is what he's known for. Well, we could spend a whole sermon doing this, right? We talked last week or a few weeks ago about, about what, what's our reputation as people of the, the, the way? What's our reputation of Jesus' people? It ain't that. We should probably fix that, don't you think? Like enough of us have to, at some point or another, enough of us have to stand up and say, let's stop what we're doing Let's just stop what we're doing because it's not worth it and it's not working. It's not even remotely connected with Jesus. Can we just say that in church? I think we can because that was his reputation. Gosh, why am I so angry? I'm just frustrated. It's frustrating. Is anyone else frustrated? I'm kind of frustrated this morning because this parable is flipping amazing. It's amazing. It reveals so many things about God that just blow your mind. And we're like, how long? We're just missing the whole boat. His reputation is crossing barriers, crossing boundaries, and welcoming those he's not supposed to. 
oh my gosh, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, shares a table with them. He's going to get contaminated, all kinds of bad. Then Jesus told them this parable. (laughs) Sorry, I just ranted for no reason. Um, Then he told this parable. He told this parable about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and loses one. And then he says, then he, he leaves the 99, the whole rest of the flock. He's like, leaves them behind to go find the one who's crossed the line. Brings them back in. Oh, it's beautiful. And then there's a celebration in heaven. And then the next story, he tells about a woman who loses a coin in her home. And she's like, i got to find this coin because it's so precious to me. So she tears the whole house apart to find it. When she finds it, she brings all of her friends and neighbors and celebrates. And they all, it's like a party. There's celebration. There's immense joy that happens. And then he continues on. There was a, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Stop right there real quick. Luke just says it in like two sentences. And there's a whole ton there. Like this is deep and meaty and beautiful. And we'll jump into it in a little bit. Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I am no longer your son. I realized I broke that off a long time ago. I'm no longer worthy to be your son, but just... just hire me at least. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he can't get the rest out because the father begins to speak and says, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. He doesn't even let him ask to be hired. He doesn't. He's like, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to party. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has 
He has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out. So his father went out. His father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But with this son of yours, can't even can't even acknowledge that this is blood, that this is family. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We'll go that far. So I can't count the number of times that I've taught on this one. It's over a dozen. I stopped after I counted a dozen. It's kind of like Christmas and Easter, right? Like those stories you come back to every, every single year, and, and people who do what I do is like, okay, how do I say it again? How do I say it in a way that no one's ever heard? How can I, how can I get something, how can I get something new? It's so, so sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, this story again? But we keep coming back to stories like this. We keep coming back to them over and over and over and over again because first, it's a brilliant story with all sorts of different layers. So we keep coming it back to it over and over again because over the course of time, We've now grown. We've now changed. We've now had new experiences that have made us different people. And so when we hear this story again and we bump up against it, sometimes it says something new to us. Or sometimes it says something that we've already heard, but in a little bit different way. And then it affects our lives in a little bit different way. So we keep coming back to stories like these. And this is one of the best stories Jesus ever told. So I'm going to give you the gist of the whole sermon up front. And I know that's dangerous because you might just shut it all off and be like, I already know what he's going to say, so why do I have to listen? I can take a nap, especially if you're at home on the couch. Here's the gist of the story. And to get at it, I'm going to get at it like this. I'm going to use the words of the great Jedi master, Luke Skywalker in his older years. He's standing in front of his sister, Leia, whom he hasn't seen for a really long time. She's lamenting her son. Her son, Ben. He's turned to the dark side. and She fears that, that he's gone. He's too far gone. And Luke Skywalker looks at his sister right in the eyes and he says, no one's ever really gone. No one's ever really gone. And if you're a Star Wars fan, I'm probably too much of a Star Wars fan. It's kind of geeky. I don't care. You know how layered and powerful and strong that one line is. No one's ever really gone. That's the gist of the sermon, okay? 
Now, about Samuel when he was two years old. I told you I was going to do this, remember? Now, if, you've ever, if you're the parent of a two-year-old, or you've ever been the parent of a two-year-old, or you've ever spent any amount of time around a two-year-old at all, you always know that you're sort of, you're always looking for things. You're always looking for things. And, and in our house, when he was two years old, it was always the green ball. We were always looking for the green ball. So he had this fascination with the green ball, right? And the green ball always seemed to be missing, always seemed to be lost, always seemed to be gone. There was like a six-month period of time in our lives where every single day we seemed to have this little conversation with Samuel. He'd start off by saying, where'd a green ball go? And then Renee and I would say something like this, I don't know. I don't see it, because that's how you talk to two-year-olds, and it's great. I don't know. I don't see it. He would say, I don't see it either. And then we would spend the next 10 or 15 minutes looking for the green ball. We would be down on our hands and knees, looking under the couch, looking behind the curtains, in the basement, everywhere. We would be looking for the green ball, because the green ball meant so much to him. And you could see it when the green ball was missing. You could see it in his body language. You could see it on his face. You could read it in his eyes. Something so important to him was gone, missing. It was lost. Where did green ball go? Like we've all had that experience, right? Of, of losing something that's, that's at least of some significance to us. Like you, you, lose your, you lose your wallet, you lose your keys, or it's that one sock that you lose every time you do the laundry, the dryer seems to eat it, and you're like, where'd this sock go? I have no idea. And then you find it later on, and you're like, what in the world is happening? Right? You lose something, and this thing is so important to us that we search for it all over the place. And many times we can't find it until like three days later. We sort of bump into it, and we're like, oh yeah, Duh. that's where I put it, right? It was lost, right? It was lost because it was misplaced. We put it somewhere and forgot where we put it. We didn't know where it was. Lost because it was misplaced. The story this morning gives us a very dis- different perspective on what it means to be lost. You see, it's one thing for a two-year-old to misplace a toy to put it somewhere while playing with it and forget where they put it. It's lost because it's misplaced. It would be a completely different story if the toy made a conscious decision to get up all on its own and roll off under the couch somewhere without any of us knowing, lost, completely lost. We'd have no idea. But most of the time we lose something because it's misplaced. If it got up and went off all on its own, it would be more like it was hiding, lost, not misplaced, only, only hiding. There's something different about that. Jesus continued, there was, a, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The younger son. It's always the younger son, right? Always the younger son. I'm an older brother. I have a little brother. It's always 
the younger son. Period. My dad has a little brother. I'm telling you, he would agree with me. It's always the little brother. It's always the younger son. He consciously makes this decision to roll off all on his own. What? What are you looking at, Micah? Caleb? He makes the choice all on his own to roll off to some distant country. It's his choice. He makes the decision. Like He's like, I don't need you. I'm all off on my own. Give me what you owe me, and I'm out. I can do this whole thing all by myself. I don't need you. I don't need anybody else. But it goes much deeper than that. Not only did he leave home, he left home with his share of the estate. Now, as the younger brother, he was entitled to one-third of the estate. The older brother was entitled to two-thirds of the estate. But usually, they would only receive their share of the estate either when daddy was getting close to his expiration date or his time had already expired. Like It was almost unheard of in those days for a son to ask for his share of the estate when dear old dad was still alive. In other words, when the younger brother asked for his share of the inheritance, it was like he looked his dad in the eyes and said, you know, you've heard this before. Dad, I wish you were, I wish you were dead. And he packed his bags, took his share of the inheritance, rolled off to a distant country, lost because he's gone. Lost because he's gone, but lost primarily because now he's cut off from the kind of relationship his father would love to have with him, lost because he wanted his dad out of his life and didn't care if he were gone to the grave, lost. Not misplaced. No, no, no. Only hiding. Friends, the reality is we live in a world And we live in this world and we're part of this world that sort of packed up its bags, grabbed all its stuff, and rolled off to some sort of distant country. Like We live in a world that's that's lost. And we're trying our best, like the younger son, to stay lost. This God stuff, like that's ancient past. That's That's just the way people thought way back then when they didn't know the kinds of things that we know. We have science. We know. We have rational brains. We know what we're doing. If we just work hard enough and think hard enough and and learn enough, we can do this all on our own. We don't need to think about that stuff out there. We can do this all on our own. God, come on. On. Aren't we beyond this already? We don't need that stuff anymore. Think Adam and Eve selfishly wanting the power of God, not needing the relationship with God, but wanting to be like God because they could do it by themselves. They wanted that power. Think David and Bathsheba. David, who, who if we put it nicely and sanitize the story, took advantage of Bathsheba. It's all a power trip. 
He wanted her because he wanted what he wanted all by himself. It was power. It was control. And so he rapes a woman. Think about Peter denying. Think about Peter denying he even knew Jesus just to protect himself. Think of Judas. Think of you. Think of me. Think of the thousands of people outside of these walls in our own neighborhoods who are lost. Lost because they're cut off from the relationship that the divine would love to have with them. Lost. Not misplaced. Just merely hiding. But the younger son isn't the only lost one in the story. There's the matter of the older son. So I guess it's not just the younger son. I guess it's us older brothers too. Yeah, sobering, I know. Sorry, Samuel. This is another perspective on being lost. After his younger brother is found, his dad throws a big old party, right? Using the resources that the older brother will someday inherit. So the younger son comes back and he's now depleting his inheritance. It's eating into his net worth and he ain't happy about it. He's mad. So he's full of resentment. He even refuses to go into the house. Right? So let's ask ourselves the question, why is he so angry? Why is he so re resentful? Well, we could probably sit around and come up with all sorts of reasons, so I'll come up with a few. Maybe he resented the fact that his younger brother had, had guts enough to jump out of the nest and fly away for a while. Maybe he resented the fact that he didn't have the guts to do it, but the younger brother did, and he resents that. Maybe he resented the fact that his little brother got to party it up and live life wildly, but he had to stay home and work his, his fingers to the bone. He had to work hard on the family farm in order to earn his keep. That's what it's become for him. He's earning it. Oh, he's earning it. Maybe he resented the fact that the older siblings are always burdened with the responsibility of being responsible. Or maybe he just resented the fact that dad never threw a party like that for him. But you can hear the anger, the resentment in his voice. You never gave me a young, a, a young goat. You never did this. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Right? So that's what his relationship with dad is. He's a slave. That's what he sees himself as. Just always doing and being the right kind of person just to please you. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours can't even bring himself to claim him as a brother, when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Right? He's not feeling it. Like, it could have been any one of those things that caused that resentment. Probably a combination of those things plus a hundred different things. But that's how resentment works. Right? He's been holding this resentment for so long that it probably has nothing to do with his little brother. 
And that's how resentment works. You can hear the anger and resentment in his voice. And when resentment isn't dealt with immediately, it begins to steal your joy. Like you hold that in your heart for so long, it becomes hardened and you forget what made you resentful in the first place. I mean, here's a big party that daddy's throwing for his, for his own brother. He can't even join the fun, right? There's music, there's dancing, there's laughing, there's singing, there's eating and everything else that goes along with having a really great party, right? But he won't even go into the house. Resentment's gripped his heart so strongly he can't even smile anymore. His brother's been found. He's safe. Who wouldn't celebrate that? But the older brother wouldn't celebrate because he too is lost. He's lost deep down inside of himself, down inside of his own resentment. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln that I really like in It might be apocryphal. I wasn't able to confirm, but here it is anyway. It's a good story. So his, apparently his secretary of war, Edwin Stanton, was was mad at another army officer who had accused him of showing favoritism. He was mad about it, angry about it, resented the officer for his mistrust and his insubordination. So he went and he told President Lincoln about it and said, these accusations aren't true. So he's mad about it. So Lincoln suggested that Stanton write a letter to the officer. So Stanton went away and he wrote the letter. It was laced with venom and he came back to President Lincoln and he shared it with him. And Lincoln asked him, what are you going to do with it? And surprised and dumbfounded, Stanton said, well, I'm going to send it to him, of course. And Lincoln shook his head and said, you don't want to send that letter. Put it in the stove. Let it burn. That's what I do when I've written a letter while I'm full of anger and resentment. It's a good letter, and you obviously had a good time writing it. Now you feel better. So go burn it and write another one. Ah! Apparently, President Lincoln had this good practice of self-therapy, right? In fact, therapists will often invite you to write letters like these and not send them and then write another one. But maybe he had a therapist. I don't know. But he had the good sense to write a letter laced with venom and then, and then burn it and then write another one, which was calm, cool, and collected. It was his way of allowing himself to deal with his own anger and his own resentment. He dealt with it that way because he knew that if you let that, if you let that fester in your heart for too long, it'll take you down paths you don't really want to go. Roads that will only bring you deep down inside of yourself. And you'll be lost. You'll hide inside yourself. Just had a thought, but it's just for me. I'm not going to share it. Realize I have some work to do. Thanks for that. You know, this story isn't even being about, about being lost. It's not. 
Because in this story, lost isn't really lost. Because no one's ever really gone. Like, if we read this carefully, we'll notice that the father was, was waiting at the gate while his son was still a long way off. He saw him while he was still a long way off. The younger son wasn't lost. He's just hiding. He's just hiding. And the older brother, he wasn't lost either. The father knew exactly where the older son was. And then the host of the party was so concerned about his eldest son, the older brother, that he left the party, the party that was there to celebrate the the coming home of his younger son. He leaves that party and all of the guests and all of the singing and celebrating and festivities and food, he leaves the party to go outside to find the older son. Friends, I think Jesus is trying to tell us something significant about God. Like, well, children can lose something, can be playing with somebody, something, and lose it, forget where they put it. It's lost, but it's misplaced. Jesus is sort of teaching us that God doesn't have that freedom. Imagine that. God doesn't have that luxury. The God of the universe The God of all creation, the one who made heaven and earth and everything in between. What do we say about this God? We say about this God that he's in all and through all and for all. And this God is in all places at all times, all the time. So so when God... When something is lost to God or someone is lost to God, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have the ability to find them. When something's lost to God, it just means that that someone is cut off from the kind of relationship that the Father would love, is aching to have with them. Lost, but not really. Only hiding. No one's ever really gone. There's a story about an old monk who stopped to rest by the banks of a, of a flooded riverbed. And as the rushing waters rose, the monk noticed that there was a scorpion on the end of a branch. And noticed that if it was left to its own, own efforts, its own, own, own devices, it would soon fall into the river, rushing down below, and it would drown. So he reached out and he picked the scorpion up and put it on the branch so it had a a better grasp of the thing, and he got stung. And then the scorpion started slipping again, so he reached out his hand and put it back up, and each time he reached out his hand over and over again, it would get stung. He'd get stung again and again and again, and then a stranger walked by and said, Sir, you realize that if you keep reaching out and touching that scorpion, it's going to keep stinging you every single time. And as he reached out to touch the scorpion one last time, the monk said, ah, so it is, my friend. But just because it's in the scorpion's nature to sting, that doesn't mean I should abandon my nature to save. The father threw a great welcome home party for the son who wished him dead. Welcomed him home. That's a risk. 
because he might leave again. He might get stung again. The father left the party to find his older son and was stung with words of anger and resentment. God sent his one and only son into the world to find the world, and we stung his son to death. Are you hiding from God? Is there some part of you that you're hiding from God, that you've run away? Remember how far God came just to find you. Do you know somebody who's hiding? Who has a part of themselves that they're hiding? Remind them how far God came to find them and tell them how to find God because because no one's ever really gone. God's just waiting for us to turn around. Let's pray.